Well, church, good to see everyone this morning. Lots of, uh, lots of energy. Thank you, uh, Jeremiah, for uh, kicking that off for us and uh, just doing your role so well and uh, recognizing our children and bringing them together. And thank you, teens, for participating in that song this morning as well. If you're a guest here today, we want to say welcome to you. We're happy to have you. want to get to know you. And uh, again, coming right off of camp, probably a lot of folks that are a little bit, a little bit tired this morning, and, uh, and yet the music and the singing was so uh, wonderful, I hope that you were recognizing God, recognizing God's uh, presence among us, recognizing the Holy Spirit among His people. And, uh, and again, the baptisms this past week, congratulations to Will and to Mallory and a gram, and that's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, week with all of that, uh, with all that good news. Thank you, uh, Vincent family, for reading the scripture this morning, and we're going to continue in our Luke series, and uh, we'll pick up on that uh, passage of scripture as we're in Luke uh, chapter four. Now I can recall my son. Uh, Dan, when he was about three years old, the question was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he answered, well, I think I'd like to be a baggage handler at the airport. And uh, we said, well, that's, that's an interesting career ambition. What prompted that? And he said, well, uh, if it's good enough for Donald Duck, it's good enough for me. He had watched Donald Duck and Donald was uh, throwing luggage at the airport and so he said that would work. Now I don't know about you but most of us have had some dreams in our life, maybe some vocational dreams of different types or things we wanted to do with our life or even aspirations as a young people or even as older people. I can remember when I was a kid my grandmother asking me what would you like to be when you grew up? And I answered, well, either a minister or a baseball player. Okay, halfway there, I'm still waiting for the Cardinals to sign me. Okay, it hasn't happened yet, but there's still a chance, right, Jerry? All right, but, uh, you know, one out of two. Here's what I want to say to us this morning to help us lead into our passage, church, is that Without a dream, our spirit dies. And without a dream, a family dies. And without a dream, a church dies. And I believe there's no image and no vision and no dream in Scripture more potent than the year of Jubilee. It's a wonderful, wonderful image. First recorded in Leviticus chapter 25, the book of Leviticus of all places. And we have this wonderful retelling about this year of Jubilee, this 49th year. And it's from, where, from there we get our word jubilant or jubilation. And there's this cry with shouts of victory that emerged from that passage as it was also known as the year of the ram's horn. As they would blow the trumpet 
or the ram's horn. It was a celebration of freedom from debt owed, much like a mortgage burning. A time when prisoners would be set free. Slaves would be set free. And in fact, there was a redistribution of the land where it would go back to the original owners. Quite an amazing section of Scripture. What do we make of all this? Well, the commands were for Israel and for the 12 tribes, and they were for a specific land, the land of Israel. But I believe there's some principles that are at work there for us as well in terms of seeing life in terms of new beginnings, new starts, times that point to hope. Because if you're messed up, guess what? You can start again. And I hope that message came through loud and clear this morning in both our singing and in our scripture, in our sharing of the table. If you're too slow, you can get back in the race. Seemed to be the story of the Jubilee. And because God is faithful to his promises, this jubilant action of God cannot be derailed. Now, what happened in these brilliant steps of grace in the book of Leviticus then fuel a dream a few centuries later also found in our Bibles in the book of Isaiah, in the dreams of Isaiah, the prophet in Isaiah 61. And now the stakes even seem to be higher than they were in the book of Leviticus because it was a homecoming from exile. And the people were trying to get back into their land. And, and Isaiah, Isaiah sees uh, that a Messiah is going to come, a Messiah, Messiah to proclaim this year of Jubilee. And it will be the very, very best of the Old Testament vision as Isaiah lays that out. What did it look like for Isaiah at his time? Well, first of all, it was all about freedom. There was a restructuring of society toward a just and more humane world. And there was freedom as a fruit of God's work in the world. And, 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 and in that freedom, every vision requires a visionary to usher in the vision. So Isaiah sees a visionary coming, and he prophesies one that would be anointed by God, a Messiah that will come and declare this year of Jubilee, the year of the ram's horn, the year of the Lord's favor, if you read closely that text in Isaiah 61. So can you imagine with all of the richness of that background from the book of Leviticus to this very, very central passage in Isaiah, we move in our text today into Luke chapter 4 and the section that the Vincent family read to us. Jesus comes home to preach. And the church was full that day. 
And the steward hands Jesus the scroll. And Jesus stands to read the scroll. And he unrolls it to Isaiah 61. Isaiah's prophecy. And the congregation stands to hear the word of God. And after the reading, then the rabbi would sit to teach. And it was after the Jesus does the reading, it was close to, the, close to one of the shortest sermons in history. At least what is recorded. And so he finds in the place where it was written in Isaiah 61, and he says and reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. After reading this, there was silence. And then all the eyes of the congregation continued to look at Jesus and he read verse 21 today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and it's no wonder that Luke then records that the crowd was amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips because see you see they're proud of Mary and Joseph, the local boy, at least at first. And then it began to dawn on him all that he was implying in this reading, that I am the Jubilee. And that my mission, my dream, extends beyond this congregation and this town and our people, and it is God's favor on all people. And so as we read in Luke 4, even by the end of the chapter, they somehow turn from praise to hate. I want you to read just those few verses in Luke 4, 28 through 30, and we don't have time for all of this text and to break it down, but it says this, all the people in the synagogue, the very same people that were just praising him for his magnificent words, were furious. Ah, they had church conflict too, apparently. And they got up, and they drove him out of town. And they took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off a cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Why were they so furious? Well, if you notice in our text, he tells two stories about God's favor on people that you would not predict. Non-Jews. Foreigners. Responding 
to God. Now, I want to ask a question at this point. Can the Jubilee dream of Jesus be the dream for the McKnight Crossings Church? And if not, I would wonder why not. Let's dig into it just a little bit. Because on the one hand, there is this beautiful attraction to Jesus. And at the same time, I believe even in our own hearts, we will find some of the resistance that this text brings out in terms of our own response to His full and true mission. And that should get our attention. What was true then is every bit as true today. The first point, verse 18. The dream of the Jubilee, the text literally says, is for the poor. I've put it, the dream of Jubilee is for the, for the left out. To preach good news to the poor is what our text says. The Anawim, those who have been left out of society, but look to the Lord for deliverance. Those who have been forgotten and overlooked, who have fallen out of religious culture, those who didn't keep the purification rites or didn't keep the law, who were unclean, the shepherds and the bartenders and the prostitutes, to name three groups. Do you know there are 2,000 passages in the Scripture about the poor? And if we took our Bibles and cut out all the passages about the poor, our Bible would literally fall apart. It would look like a sad block of Swiss cheese. But we might ask the question, well, what does it mean to be poor? What are we talking about? And I might have used this illustration before, but I think about my son Dan, who uh, had his first career ambition to be the, be the baggage handler at the airport. But uh, when he and his wife graduated from medical school, uh, they both graduated. She graduated from optometry school. He graduated here from medical school. He and, his, and Jenna were in massive debt with thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars of school loans. If you measured household assets and take all of your net worth, all of your assets minus all of your liabilities, they were massively, massively in debt. And in fact, for many years into his practice, he was in the negative. It's a scary thing. But here's the thing. He's a doctor. She's a doctor. While the government calculation says while he was in school, he was below the poverty line, are any of you feeling sorry for them? No. Because poverty is about poverty of opportunity. It's about poverty of relationships. It sometimes is about poverty of resources. 
like food and shelter. But it's so much more than that, even as we're learning within our own food pantry here, that it's about food, but it's much more. It's about people's lives. It's about their homes. It's about their relationships. It's about their education. It's about their way of thinking. And our text is saying that the Lord brings His favor to the overlooked and the broken and the forgotten. And and we must ask ourselves, how can we create opportunity? And how can we create relationships? And how can we help people move from charity to empowerment, from a handout to a hand up? How can we be in community with people that are overlooked and forgotten and broken? There's a woman in this congregation that we got a call this week that has several children and she was flooded out of her home. She lived in the basement and uh, her everything is gone. Everything is gone. And she's in a shelter right now. So the question is, how can we protect her and assist her and support her? as she tries to make her way back. Number two, the dream of the Jubilee is to release those that are shackled. My words, the text says, proclaim freedom for the prisoners. The prisoners are those who are actually behind bars, yes. Those who are in prison, don't forget those, Hebrews chapter 13 says. But beyond that, those who are on house arrest, those who are on parole, as some in this congregation are, the families of those in prison, but wider still, aren't those that feel imprisoned, the shackled, maybe we start simply with the first of all shackling imprisonment is sin. Thank you, Jeremiah, for pointing that out to us in the communion. Prisoners of sin, addictions, whether it is alcohol or drugs or wealth or career or sex or shackled by divorce or stigmatized because you're single or somehow where you feel trapped? How about this as a shackling, where there is chronic sickness? Isn't that also imprisoning? Members of this congregation who are COVID long haulers. So Jesus' ministry is to preach and teach and heal guess what? Our ministry is to teach and preach and heal. Tony Campolo prayed for a man with cancer, and the man was, was filled with anger at the time, and he was just hating God, and his anger kept growing, and a few days before he died, he accepted the Lord's favor. 
And his wife said that those were those few days before he had died were the best days of their life. And they read scripture together, and they prayed together, and they sang together, and they talked together, and they wept together. And here's, what, uh, here's the way Campolo said it. He wasn't cured, but he was healed. This is the dream of the Jubilee. Cures are for a time. Healing of the heart is for eternity. Is this a healing church? I believe it is. I believe it is. Number three, the dream of the Jubilee is a new way of seeing. The way our text describes it is simply this. This Messiah that would come would give sight to the blind. And I hope that your mind might be thinking, well, should we take these as as symbols, symbolically? Should we take this literally? Is it some combination of these? Here's my invitation. Think about how what is coming out in this Jubilee vision is worked out in the rest, the remainder of the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. And we're going to get there week by week, but we'll see a repetition of these very themes. This one, a new way of seeing. Remember John 9, and that man, those blind people, folks who were under a cloud of suspicion, because sometimes the blindness is self-inflicted, and sometimes it's an addiction, and sometimes it's because of life's blows, and sometimes it's because of a bad car accident, and sometimes it's because life got off track. In the ancient world, it was the blind and the deaf and the dumb and the beggars that were forbidden from the holy place in the temple, once again left out. And I might add the mentally ill and the disfigured and the unclean like shepherds or immigrants. And here's a mission to those who don't easily fit in. The Messiah brings sight, this new way of seeing for both rich and poor, where the sad are comforted and the broken are lifted up through the eyes of the Master. You know what? I've watched this through the years in this congregation. Eyes going from blindness. Folks that have been in church all of their life who would finally say, I see. I see what God's grace is all about. I see what the gospel is trying to say. I see what's happened with our young people as you, so many of you are seeing life through a different lens as you're participating in this journey of the Christian faith. Can we help others in our community who might have a particular lens to see differently? Last week, I introduced uh, Demetrius to the congregation as a part of the message. I don't see Demetrius this morning, but uh, 
but uh, we, we went out with our, our pray and go out in Rock Hill, Demetrius and I, and we got on a street over here in Rock Hill, and, uh, and we, we got about five or six houses in, and a guy comes running out the door, and he said, you need to get out of here. And we said, well, actually, we're not asking for anything. We're not soliciting. We're simply praying over the homes. And he, he looked at me, and then he looked over at Demetrius, this young African-American man, and he said, somebody had just recently came down this, this street and robbed everybody. Next thing I know, a cop car comes up. Somebody called the cops on us for praying. And we kind of handled the first cop, and then they changed shifts, and then the second cop rolled up. I'm like, okay, this isn't really going the way I was thinking it was going to go this evening. Okay, and, and Demetrius and I, and like, we were creating more anxiety in a strange way on the street that almost then one could say it was worth. What was the right thing to do? Kind of puzzled about all of that right then and there. My point of my point of relaying all of this is that right now there's a way of seeing in the world that's right down the street here. And it's about anxiety and fear and suspicion. And we as the people of God have opportunity as the Lord avails to help people overcome that blindness. Number four. The dream of Jubilee brings hope to the weary. That might be you this morning. It seems to me that people all over are heavy, just have a heaviness of heart, and their resiliency is weak, and they feel tired, and they feel stressed, and they feel weighed down. Am I talking about anybody here? Weighed down? And we as the people of God, to release the oppressed, have a confidence not only in God's faithfulness in this moment, but in the future. Hope in a way that cannot be unlocked by any other way of life. As much as Jesus is about setting people free, and I hope you see that very, very clearly in our text, Maybe what has to happen most this morning is that we need to set Jesus free. He's not here in the flesh, but even if He was, have we boxed Him in, reduced Him to something we can handle, and made Him an easy Savior? But he's our visionary. 
He's our dreamer. He's the one from whom we take our marching orders. He fulfills the jubilee. He brings God's favor and he proclaims it. Now in just a couple of years after that jubilee vision, after preaching in his hometown, after inaugurating his ministry, we're still at the very, very beginning. This was his very first sermon. He's just getting started. But just a few years, it's, his dream looks like it's going to end on a cross. The dream was so full. People couldn't handle it. They couldn't handle it. But we know there's more to the story. And through the resurrection, he has conquered all forms of captivity. He has won over the forces of evil. And won over the forces of sin. And won over the forces of death and won over the forces of self. What's your response this morning to his dream? Are you willing to live in this story of the dreamer? What is this church about? Boy, we ask that question a lot. It's so many things, it's hard to say it's one thing. What about the Jubilee? What about the Jubilee vision? With Jesus at the very center, there is this place for the left out, a call of freedom from the world, a removing of chains from hearts and minds and spirits and bodies, a new way of seeing and teaching and loving and a confident hope that refuses to be shaken. Here's my invitation. Put up our slide again of the ram's horn. There it is. Sound the ram's horn, church. It's the year of jubilee. The year of the Lord's favor. Come on up, Jeremy, team. At this place and at this time, let's sing together.